Amen. Well, I just um, came back from a conference in um, Fredericksburg, Virginia, and uh, I had a, had a really good time. I brought my family, so it's always a good time when I bring my family. But uh, there was probably about, we did, we did two days of, of leadership meetings, and there was probably about 30 key leaders uh, from the prayer and missions movement um, that were there at that gathering. And so we had a, a lot of dialogue in between sessions and, and then uh, an entire day of just, just, you know, engaging with one another, praying and discussing what we felt like the Lord has put on our heart for this coming year. And, um, and so I want to share out of that experience with you all tonight. I felt like the Lord was just impressing upon me because as we were sharing, I realized that, you know, so many pieces of what was shared were things God had put in my heart and then other things, th- things I hadn't connected to or thought of, but it was really touching me and convicting my own heart. And so I wanted to share some of the things that were shared. Um, you don't have to hold your breath uh, because I'm not going to, because none of them, none of them, said that 2020 is a year of vision. Glory to God. I'm like, that's too easy. And when I, when I see the 2020 vision thing, I go, okay, all right, low-hanging fruit, we'll accept it. I think he always wants to give us 2020 vision. It's called the spirit of revelation. Uh, but, but maybe it is a year of increased vision. I won't make fun of it. But nobody said that in that meeting. I felt so good about that. I was just personally happy. Um, so we're, we're in this meeting and, um, and one of the leaders begins to speak and he says this word. And when he says that word, I, I felt my own heart kind of ignite. And it's not, it's not a word that's going to make you happy per se, but it was a word that gripped me and convicted me. So I want to share out of that. And he said this, he says, I believe that this year the Lord is calling the church out of superficiality, superficiality. And, um, and I know what that word means, you know, you know, I know what it means. It means shallow really, but I literally wanted to look that up and just say, okay, what exactly does this word mean? And this word superficiality, it, it, it has so many tentacles, but it, it, it means this, a lack of thoroughness, a lack of depth, and a lack of serious thought. Lack of thoroughness, a lack of depth, and a lack of serious thought. And as I was just sort of letting that roll over in my own heart, I was feeling strongly This is a word from the Lord for me personally, but I really believe this is a word for the church and it's a word for our body. Now, here's what I want to say. When we feel corrected by the Lord, that is a good sign. Everybody say, that's good. It's good. We we shouldn't have this sort of fear of correction. Now, I know that many of us have had bad experiences with humans who corrected us badly. I know that. But God doesn't correct us badly. God corrects us as a sign of his acceptance of you. 
You see what I'm saying? He corrects us because he loves us. The scripture is so super clear. So if you feel corrected by the Lord, that is a sign that he's saying, you're mine. And, and the scripture is clear that if we go without correction, that's a sign that we're illegitimate, that we're actually not the Lord's. And so when the Lord corrects us, I think last year, 2019, me personally, I think I got more corrected last year than any other year of my life. And it was the best year. It was so good because his correction isn't rejection. It's a testament of his love. And so that those sweet corrections of the Lord, they, they really moved my heart and they, they actually drew me in to greater intimacy. And so um, I just, I, when I say a thing like God wants to deliver us from superficiality, you know, you could, not everybody, but you could simply go, oh no, ouch, here comes a, you know, here comes a spanking. And, and it's just not like that with the Lord. The Lord corrects us to draw us in to a, a greater depth of intimacy. And so for me, this word superficiality, this lack of thoroughness, lack of depth, Lack of serious thought. Man, that, something about that rung so true with me. And I remember years ago, a friend of mine, um, she said to me, she said, I, she said, I feel like I'm an inch deep and a mile wide. And I just thought, man, that's like that little shallow puddle, right? That little shallow puddle on the road. There's this, after it rains, a little bit of rain, and you get a little bit of wetness all over the road. But it doesn't, it really doesn't, ultimately affect anything. It's just really, really shallow. I, I feel like, uh, personally, the church is, is, is in this wrestle of superficiality. Now, you might say, well, well wait a minute. Now, we're a praying community. We, we have 24-7 prayer. Are you saying that that doesn't matter? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying the Lord loves Worship, he loves worship and prayer. Um, but I'm also saying this, that if, if everybody is living at a 0.5 and you're a one and the scale is a thousand, your 0.5, it doesn't really matter because there's a thousand. Do you see what I'm saying? And what happens to us is, and praying people, this is so typical, they get a little bit of depth. They get a little bit of the spirit of revelation, a little bit of prophecy. And their .5 gets them a little bit sharper maybe than the average guy. And it's, it really is prophetic because there's something on it. But their little .5, just, it's just .5 more. It's barely measured. You can barely see it on the scale. And they think, well, see, we're way ahead of them. And the .5 means nothing when the, the depth meter goes to 1,000. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, it would be like, you know, me and then Michael Jordan. Now, he can jump. Maybe not as much now as he used to be able to. Let's call, let's, who, who do you want to say? Zion, right? That's the big new basketball player guy. Well, he's out with an injury. Who's a good jumper? Anthony Davis. Okay, you got me, and I, I got, I got, I can't jump. Okay, so I got no, I wasn't even going to lie. So I can't jump. But then you got Anthony Davis, and he really can jump. But the, the thing is, if, it's, if, we're, if we're measuring against one another and it's about a basketball hoop, well, it looks crazy. 
But if it's about jumping to the moon, it doesn't matter at all. And that's basically why the scripture says, when you judge yourself against yourselves, you're not wise. Because the standard isn't the other guy that's not doing, quote unquote, as good as you. The standard is Jesus and the depth that's available in God. And so what happens is we actually make peace with our superficiality because we can name three people that were, quote, unquote, deeper than. And I, wanna, I just want to take aim at this, I, and, and I'm, not, um, I, I'm not saying, and I'm deep, and y'all aren't. I'm going, no, this is me. This is what's convicting me right now. And I hope you feel that you go, well, dang, if he's convicted, I should be convicted. Like, I hope, you know, some of you might even think that, like, well, he's convicted about being superficial. Because I am. I'm shallow in a bunch of different ways. I've got about this much revelation. And, and this is something that's bothered my own spirit for a long time. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we got a little measure of breakthrough. And all of a sudden, all the ministry invitations started coming. And I remember thinking, we don't have anything compared to what's available. We've got just a little bit of breakthrough. And, and what we love to do in the church is we love to call every spark a bonfire. And as soon as somebody can spark just a little bit, we go, whoa, do you see? There's a spark coming out of it. And we try to, and we treat every little spark like it's a bonfire. And it's just not when the measure is the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so for me, the revelation of my own superficiality, my own shallowness, my lack of depth, it, it's, it stands pretty strongly in my own spirit. So when, when I heard other leaders saying that, man, it witnessed to me because, you know, at the end of the day, here's the thing. As a, as a preacher and a leader, if I'm always saying there's more, there's got to be more, we can go for more, people get tired of that. They go, oh, brother, come on, just be, can't you just be glad about what we've got? And I go, I am so glad about what we've got. And what we've got is one out of a scale of a thousand or a million. Like, really? And, and, and but they go, but you, you know, you're just always so, you know, dissatisfied. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm super glad. I'm mostly happy about what God's given and grateful, so grateful for every little measure. But man, there's so much more. And if you, if you imagine somehow that we've got like a whole lot, or this is as good as it gets, maybe you had a good 2019. I've seen a lot of people that said, man, 2019 almost killed me. I had a really good 2019. But, but I'm going to tell you, 2019, as good as it was for me, and I could tell you 10 ways it was really good for me and my family, and our ministry, but as good as it was, 2019 is nothing compared to as good as it gets. And, um, and so people get, they, they get frustrated when you continue with this message of there's more. Because they, well, what are you, you're not satisfied in God? Well, no, no, I love God. Oh, so you're saying that, that uh, you know, what God's done, you're not grateful. I go, no, no, I'm super grateful. I go, There's just more. They go, oh, so you're saying that you've got something that we don't have. No, no, I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that the church at large is very satisfied with very little. And that there's so much more available. 
There's so much more available. I don't know, I don't know of one person that's ever touched the, the John 14, 12, greater works than these. I don't know one, I do not know one person that's touched that. And that is a Bible promise. And so what happens is, because we're barren, we make peace with our barrenness and we, we, we get comfortable living superficially and we don't actually press in for the more because no one else is. And I, I personally can't live that way and I would rather just be an irritant and a pain in the butt saying there's gotta be more. I'd rather live like that than settling for less than what God says is available. Am I making any sense? So this issue of superficiality, um, our lack of depth, uh, I, I put this, I, I wrote this, our shallowness and our addiction to triviality feeds our distraction and ultimately our distraction feeds our superficiality. We live distracted and, um, and because of our distraction, we live superficially. Now, I wanna read to you uh, some quotes by a man named Richard Foster. How many's ever heard of the name Richard Foster? Raise your hand. Yeah, how many's never heard of that person? Raise your hand. Good, good. I'm introducing you to one of the heroes of Christianity. Richard Foster, if you read one book this year, read Celebration of Discipline. How many's ever read Celebration of Discipline? Yeah, a handful. Everyone in this room should read Celebration of Discipline. Every person should read it. Yeah, you should get out your phone or your pad and write down the name of that book and read it. Write it down. Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster, and read it. Here's what Richard Foster says. He says, superficiality is the curse of this age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Richard Foster, he wrote that in 1978. <laughs> He wrote that before there was anything such as a smartphone. He wrote that before we had cell phones. The internet hadn't happened. Here's what he said. The biggest problem we have today is distraction. 1978. People are consumed with muchness and manyness. They love, give me more of this and that, all these trivialities. They're consumed with muchness and manyness. God will let us be distracted if that's what we choose. But if we want to be attentive, and he used this word, and if we want to be present, there is a way. And I feel like the great struggle to get us out of being superficial is to get us out of distraction and get us into being present. Get us into the moment that God has us in and into his perspective on where we live now and where we're going. 
Heaven's perspective on your life. Present with God and present with people. Here's what he says. Many people come to worship services and they are never really present. They are never really there. Now, undoubtedly, this is just phenomenal, but I have this opportunity to do this, so I just did it. But I can quote that quote, and undoubtedly, I could do a poll right now, and some of you don't know what I just said. Oh, if you missed it, let me say it again. Many people come to worship services. And they are never really present. They are never really there. We need to learn to be present where we are. And one of the things that has to happen is a letting go of distraction. So this is what I think we have to deal with. If we have this mentality that somehow we've arrived or somehow pressing in for the more is you know, it's not worth it, then we will live shallow and superficial. And here's the point. If we're living shallowly and superficially, we are primed to be taken out when deception, trial, tribulation, persecution, and all the negative things that, not, I'm not even talking about end of the age stuff, just that the world has to offer. If we're superficial, we, get, we can get taken out so easily. Or you end up as a socially um, Christian person who actually never makes a Christian impact in the world. You live on a perpetual plateau with no real impact, agreeing to the Christian sort of virtues and the Christian culture without any kind of Christian manifestation through your life. That's a sign of living superficially. And I look at my own life and I think about this because I think this way. I think, A, when I stand before the Lord, when I look back, I'm imagining that I will have understanding of what I could have had that I didn't because I was unwilling to go for the more. And I do not want to stand before that man and have a sense of regret fill my soul. I do not want that. I remember as a young man, I was 18 years old. <clears throat> I was a, a, I was a um, freshman at the University of Georgia. And I was out on campus every single day I was sharing the gospel. And part of that was a little bit of a negative thing. I was a little scared of God, so I thought I'd preach to everybody just so that God would like me. But part of it was I had gone so hard for the devil that I wanted to go hard for God. And I remember I was out every day preaching the gospel, and I was leading people to the Lord. Remember that first year that I was a Christian, I led 20 people to the Lord. Just because I put myself in the way of it. Well, that sounds like a good testimony, but I'm convicted about that today. Because I don't go out preaching the gospel anywhere near like I did then. Now, I've got ministry responsibilities and platform environments and all these things. But I still look at those moments of just putting myself out there on a limb with God and going and finding somebody at the leading of the Holy Spirit and how the Lord met me with words of knowledge and things I couldn't have known about people. And I go, that, that was for, you know, 
month one of my salvation, for sure it's for the 25th year or 30th year of my salvation. And, 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 I, and, I, and I look at that and I think, man, I, I want that same kind of passion now. But I remember I was 18 and I had this guy who was a campus minister and, uh, and I had two campus minister guys that I would go out with every day and I had this other guy and, and the two, two guys were encouraging me and then the other guy, he was, sort of, he was sort of discouraging me. And he pulled me aside one day. I was out there, I was out there way, above my, way above my pay grade. I was having a conversation with some professor who was an atheist in the public. And he was you know, probably just tearing me up. And I didn't even know any better to know that he was just killing me on ontological arguments and things of that nature. And Anyway, so this guy pulls me aside. He goes, hey, man, listen. He goes, I know you're on fire for the Lord. And, and I know that you're really going after it. He goes, but I want to encourage you something. I go, yeah. He goes, you need to settle down. I said, I do. He goes, yeah, you need to settle. You need to calm down. Because here's what you're going to find. You're not going to be able to be this fiery and zealous the rest of your life. And you're going to get really disillusioned and disappointed. He goes, if you'll just settle down now, then you won't crash later. That was exactly what I needed to hear. And it was because as soon as he said that, I, I thought to myself, I know that's wrong. And, uh, and he, goes, he, goes, you need, he goes, you need a little reality. And I thought, no, no. If reality is what you're saying, full of doubt and unbelief, and do nothing, non-breakthrough Christianity, I don't want any of it. I didn't say that to him. I just went, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I walked away and I said, I will never, ever settle down. I will be idealistic to the day I die. He said exactly what I needed to hear. It was so encouraging me. It was so encouraging to me. Um. But I realized this, that the very thing that he believed as a full-time minister is the very thing that many in the church believe. You've bought into some of that. You need to settle down. You just need to chill out. You can't live idealistically your whole life. What are you going to do? Just go around looking crazy to everybody? Settle down. You don't need to go and study. Really, you're going to just spend all that time studying the book of Revelation? Really? You're going to study Song of Solomon? Really? How's that pragmatic? How's that practical? Um, let me just, can I, I mean, I feel like I'm just having coffee with you right now and just talking for real. I've had ministers tell me, hey, you, you should consider being more pragmatic with your teaching and then find out years later that same minister is on medication for depression and all sorts of, you know, illnesses and thinking to myself, no, I, I don't want to be more pragmatic. I want to go into wonder and beauty and glory and the thing that's on the inside of me. I want to live so enthralled with God that nothing in this world has any kind of hold on me, but what has a hold on me is the beauty that's coming off of his face from the throne. And I live from that place to this place, not demanded by this place how I will act every single day. And there's just something about recognizing that there's so much more for us. There's so much more available in God. But if we make peace with our barrenness and we make peace with living superficially, we will actually never touch what's available for us in God and we'll live superficially our whole lives and we'll stand before him, look into eyes of fire, and in a moment, a flash, we will have such a revelation of regret.
I don't want it. Not even a little bit. I want a depth that's real. She sang it tonight. I think uh, Bethany sang it tonight. She said this phrase. It's a phrase we're familiar with, but it's one that should rest on our soul in a way that should trouble us. She said, I don't want to name that I'm alive, but I'm dead on the inside. If there is a banner scripture for what it looks like to be superficial, it's having a name that you're something that you're really just not. And here's, here's the uh, deception of it. You, you know, here's how Christians, hap- what, what happens to Christians. They get to the place where they can quote a hundred verses. They all know the same 100 verses-ish. They don't cuss anymore. They're not really going to cheat on their taxes. And most R-rated movies are out of bounds. And they think they've hit the pinnacle of Christian existence. And I'm thinking, man, if that's everything, if that's what I got ripped out of the jaws of hell for and what God put his spirit on the inside of me for is so that I don't cuss and I don't cheat on my taxes and people think I'm a nice guy, that, that's ridiculous. That's such a low vision. We need a vision that's authored by heaven for what the people of God are supposed to be there is, there is so much evidence in the scripture that we're to be a people that are fascinated with beauty and filled with glory and that we live going from glory to glory to glory, manifesting the very glory of God that he's put on the inside of us in our salvation. There's so much evidence in the scripture that that's the kind of person we're supposed to be. And I look at the way that we live and we live so, so dull compared to that. I don't want to live dull. I don't want you to live dull. I don't want you to know what the bridal paradigm is and what the father heart is, but still sit there and tremble in fear every time you turn around because there's a challenge because you don't actually know the love of God. I don't want you to know Isaiah 53 and still have no revelation of how to get healing. Like, can we just be real about this stuff? What are those signs of superficiality that we're shallow? That we don't have the depth that we think we have. And if, if you might be 0.5 deeper than the next guy, but who cares when the measure is a million or a thousand? And I'm feeling, I'm feeling gripped over it. Two beatitudes have just, they've got my attention. And I really, I just, I want us to just deal with them. Jesus, two of the eight, 25% at least, he's dealing with this issue of hunger and, and superficiality and contending for the more. Matthew 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's talking about mourning over the sin of the land, mourning of our own, over our own condition, mourning over the, the, the truth of our lack and the fact that we don't have everything that, that, that is available. He's talking about mourning in a way that, that causes us and compels us to go for the more. And he says, if you'll mourn, you're blessed and you'll be comforted. The comfort of it is you'll be filled with God in the morning. And then verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And I'm looking at a, 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 the Christian world right now. 
I mean, I'm just looking at the cross-section of American Christianity. Let's not even, I won't even take us beyond our borders. We're looking at the cross-section of American Christianity. And I'm just telling you, there are very few places that I can say that place right there, those people, they actually do Matthew 5, 6. They actually hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's what Jesus said would be a hallmark of those who lived by the values of his own kingdom. And so I'm staring at this. Blessing are those, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And I'm saying he's promised us to meet us if we will press in for the more. And beloved, I, I want to call you out of superficiality. I'm, I'm trying to shake my own soul right now. Shake myself. Pick myself up from the dust. Shake myself by the nap of my own neck and say, I cannot live superficially. I will live pressing in. I will live this way. I will be crying out for revival and crying out for a greater spirit of revelation on my life. And, and you know what? I don't care if I don't actually attain it. I want to live this way, pressing in for what he's promised. Because I don't want to ever stand in that place of living with regret. It was on this platform, thousands of people in front of us. Uh, at, a, at this conference movement, 2020 is the name of the conference. David Bradshaw shared this vision. We're going to take tents and do worship all across America. I was like, man, it's such a great vision. Showed a powerful video and partnering with the Send and IOP Kansas City and all these things. And thousands of people are going to be worshiping in tents 24-7. And they're going to be going all across the nation. And they're going to end up in Kansas City in October. I thought it's so powerful. And they asked us to come up on the platform and me and a few others to pray into it. Well, I never got to the mic. And I was standing on the back of the stage. I was looking out and the people were, they were just cheering, so excited. And it hit me so squarely. I, two, two points. One, if we really do, you know, hundreds of tents of 24-7, it really is going to raise the water level toward revival. Like it really is. Like, it really matters. God really loves that. His bride worshiping him sacrificially. It's not easy to go do a tent. I mean, they were, they were talking about it, and all I could think for the first half an hour was, oh, that's so much work. Like, that, <laughs> I just slid in the flesh, like, oh, that's so much work. Because I know what it takes to run 24-7 in a room that we already have everything provided for. I couldn't just, like, okay, we're going to go buy a tent, and we're going to rent a sound system, and where are we getting the power and the water, and oh. There's not going to be any coffee in there, not even a curry. Oh, God. And just feeling, just, you know, just feeling the, all the natural, dang, that's going to be hard. And they were talking about they, hundreds of cities, people doing it. And I thought, oh, wow. But then I just after I got over my little flesh for a minute, then I thought, wow, that, that really does have the potential. Thousands of worshipers raising worship all over the nations. All over the nation, I mean. And everybody could colliding at Kansas City. Like, that really does have the potential to, to spark something. Like, and, and I like anything that adds another log to the fire. More prayer, I'm always in favor of it. And I was feeling, so I'm sitting there, and the people are just dancing and crying, and I'm feeling like, this really, it really could, you never know, you don't know which straw breaks the camel's back, but one of them does. You, you don't know which, you know, chop causes the tree to fall, but one of them does. And so, and for me, Revival isn't a cliche. It, you know, I, I don't go, we're going to have revival. Wow! 
And, it, and everybody goes, I don't know what that means, but yay! You know, I, like, for me, revival is when the glory of God descends and takes over the society. And, and, it's, and it's touching every sphere. I mean, it's touching the bank and the business place and the QT and, and the college and the high school and, and, and the church. And I mean, and the entertainment sector is just getting rocked and, and spontaneous deliverances are happening in the, you know, the, the big business building. And people don't have to do with the guy that just got delivered because glory hit their office. Like, I mean, just, and that's happening all over the place. Traffic jams because people can't drive because glory has descended on 285. Like that's, when I'm picturing revival, I'm not picturing like a week of good meetings at our church. I'm, I'm picturing something that's so out of the box. It's so, you know, you can't, you can't take care of it. It's just so difficult to man, manage, unmanageable. <clears throat> and I'm thinking this really might happen. This really could add something to it. And then I'm, I'm still watching the crowd. And they're just da- dancing and woo, so excited. And I thought, oh, God, they have no idea what they're asking for. Because most people think revival equals, this is going to be awesome. And I think it is going to be awesome. And I think it is going to be so persecuted. You've not seen, you've not seen violence until a, a stronghold really falls. Because when the principality falls, then the only option for the kingdom of darkness is to start stemming the tide of the move of the spirit by doing martyrdom. I mean, when revival comes, look at the Bible, look at church history. When revival comes, the, the violent attack against it is so intense and, and most people, all they think about is, oh, it's going to be wonderful and glory. And I, and I would just tell you, it is going to be wonderful and glory. And two things happen. The lines of needy people, they never end. And the persecution and the demonic attack, it never stops. When revival comes, it is met with an onslaught because Satan doesn't just stand by and go, wow, they're having a revival. That's awesome. Satan then goes into complete rage mode to try to offset the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm watching the crowd. I'm so excited. And I go, oh, oh, they don't know what they're asking for. I mean, I'm excited. I want to dance about revival too. But I realize, oh, man, you, we get a breakthrough. We've just grabbed the tiger by the tail. And we don't, I mean, the glory of it, the persecution of it, the, the half the guys are mad, half the guys are sad, half the guys are glad, that's three halves. It's just, I mean, it just becomes a mess. And, 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 and it's a wonderful mess because God, he, he, you know, he's orchestrating all of it. And it just starts hitting me. Oh, man. If we are superficial and revival hits, it will be the undoing of many. And the end of the age, there's massive revival and massive falling away. And I just, I was, it, it hits me so hard. And I'm on the stage, supposed to go to pray on the mic for this thing. It hits me so hard. And I just double over into travail. And that's why my voice is a little weak because I go into travail for the next 45 minutes just wailing. Oh God, yes, send revival. And oh God, deliver us of our superficial Christianity. Our cotton candy, Instagram Christianity. Well, Jesus talked about this. 
It's the parable of the, the sower and the soil. Now, here's the thing. I, I realize this about myself, so it's probably true about you. Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one. But every time I read this parable, I go, oh, I'm definitely the good soil. <laughs> you, ever, you ever read the parable of the sower and think, oh, man, I am the rocky soil for sure because I'm going to give up when persecution happens. No one ever thinks that. It, maybe you do, but I, I don't. I, I always think I'm the good ground. But he actually said there's four kinds and only one kind bears fruit. And these are the people that are hearing the word. And basically what he's telling us is there's three kinds of hearers that are superficial and there's one kind that's not. And he even describes it. He, he says the wayside, immediately the devil comes and steals it. And, and then he says the rocky, it springs up immediately, so excited. And when persecution and trial comes, it's got no root. And tribulation comes, it immediately burns away. And I'm just thinking, how many believers have I met? They get saved. They're, you know, they're into God. They're receiving the word. And it gets hard. It immediately gets hard. What is that? It's the enemy testing the soil. And persecution and tribulation arise, and I watch it. They come in and they're receiving the word and it gets hard and boom, they're gone. How many times have you seen that happen? Have you been in Christ any amount of time? You've seen that happen dozens of times. When the thorny soil, and you've seen this. So to me, the rocky soil, see so the immediate, and what you have is you have the word getting stolen uh, in, in degrees of speed, Right? Wayside is immediate. Rocky, it springs up, but then heat takes it out. Tribulation, persecution. Thorny, it actually is growing, but it says the cares of this life choke it out. You've seen that person who maybe they were a long time into the word and receiving. They seemed like be awesome. They were just awesome for a long time. And all of a sudden they just get choked out, taken out. Deceitful rich, deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life. Just take them out. I've watched that happen. I've been in pastoral ministry 25 years. I've watched that happen so many times. And I realize, oh, this is a progression of the speed in which people get taken out. And then the point is that the good ground, they hear and accept it and they bear fruit. And, and, and I really think the good ground, it makes it through all three of those, those attacks. Satan coming to steal it. The, the tribulation arising, they hang in there through it. Cares and deceitfulness comes, and they say no to that, and they stay with it, and it bears fruit. But the point of the bearing fruit is this. You can't just hear it. And this is where I think most of our superficiality lies. It's something I preached about two months ago. It's the hearing of the word without the doing of the word is the self-deception that so many people live under. And he says they have to hear it and accept it. And implied in that accepting it is I hear it and I actually do the word. I actually do it. I live it. And living this thing out, it is, it's one of the critical points of depth. What creates depth is I'm going to lean into God. I'm going to go after his presence. I'm going to go into the word. And then I'm going to allow the word to go into me. And I am going to allow that word to dictate how I live every day of my life. And here's where I think it falls apart. 
It's easy to believe because you're near somebody who's 0.5 more in God than you are that you're 0.5 more too. Does that make sense? They're on fire, so being around them now, that makes you on fire because they're on fire. And you think proximity to that person that's really going after it equates to you're really going after it too. Or you're in a place where maybe we've got 24-7 prayer, so we're like the children of Israel of old. We go, see, we have the house of God. God goes, I will tear that thing down to get to your heart. And, and, And I'm just to this place where I'm saying, I don't want to live superficial, not one bit. I want depth in God. I want depth in the spirit, depth in his presence, depth in the word, depth in the reality of Christ in me. I want real love. I want real love flowing out of me, sacrificial love that really lays my life down for others. I want real humility that does not think one inch more of myself than I ought. The real Christian stuff, I want that really in me and flowing out of me, not just the picture or the name. And I feel like the church is about to get maybe tested. And I think we've been getting tested, but tested in this area of our superficiality. So I'll give this as I'm closing. Somebody must have moved the clock on me. It's already seven. Praise God. Areas. And all these different leaders brought up issues individually of one another, and it was, it was after a while I realized they're all talking about superficiality in different areas. First was depth of intimacy and being at peace with our lack of hunger, being at peace with our lack of mourning, our lack of hunger for righteousness. If you're at peace with, with your lack of hunger, man, I want to call you out of that. I, and, I, and I know there's 10, there's 10 excuses you can make. Well, my life's busy. Well, I got this and that. If you're at peace with it, I want to call you out of that. I don't want to be at peace with that in my own soul. So that superficial, superficiality and intimacy with God. The next was superficiality in the word. But the, the guy that brought this point up, he said it this way. And this is interesting because this guy that was talking in the group of 30, he's kind of known as the optimist, the upbeat, always got the, you know, the positive word. The first words out of his mouth, I, I've never heard this guy say this stuff. First word out of his mouth, he goes, we are staring at a moral and theological crisis in our nation. And he doesn't come out of the group that uses crisis. Let me just say it that way. He doesn't come out of IHOP world and we, we, we talk about crisis and judgment. He wouldn't talk about that. He goes, we are staring at a theological and moral crisis like I've never seen. He goes, I've never seen more believers falling away from Jesus than I'm seeing right now. I've never seen more marriages imploding, more people walking away from their faith. I've never seen it before. We have a lack of depth in the word of God, and so we are departing Jesus. I was like, whoa. You know, when the optimist guy says it, that gets your attention. Well, then the next guy goes, well, I'm an evangelist. This is so interesting. He goes, I've, I'm an evangelist. I stand in front of thousands of young people. He goes, and I just want to confess. He goes, over the last five years, because of the, the culture, the way things have gone in our culture, I have 
uh, purposefully stayed away from many topics that are taboo in culture. He goes, and I won't, I won't say anything about them because it's so, it's so politically incorrect. He goes, and I realize I have bowed my knee and, and, and I've, I've compromised the message of the gospel. He goes, I know I don't have to go in preaching issues, but the gospel brings up the issues. He goes, and I have to stand with Christ. And he goes, I, I don't have a depth in my boldness, in my witness. And I just saw a uh, headline just over the weekend. One of our major, major denominations. One of our major, did you see this one, Jeff? One of our major denominations. They just decided, well, we got to split we're going to cut the money in half, and half of them, we're going to just all be gay affirming, and the other half is going to be not gay affirming, and we're just going to split and go our separate ways. And I thought to myself, the, de- the founder of that denomination is like standing at the right hand of the Lord, making intercession right now. You know, you they would say he's turning over in his grave. No, he's making intercession right now to break the back of delusion that's come on that group that's departing. Well, boldness in the witness, boldness in our witness. And then the fourth one, another brother spoke up and he had this dream, and I'll just make it really short. But basically, in the dream, he's standing on a platform. There's a huge crowd in front of him. And uh, Jesus walks up to him on the platform. And, And he goes, Jesus, this is awesome. Look at this. Look at all these people. And Jesus goes, you're only operating in one of your gifts. And he goes, but Jesus, look, this is awesome. He goes, yeah, I don't really care about this crowd. Not about the people, but the fact that you're standing in front of a crowd. He goes, I don't really care about that. He goes, I will remove that crowd right now. Because I care about you. And you actually perceiving yourself the way I see you. And you're, he goes, this is what the Lord told him. You're measuring yourself by the size of your crowd. And I'm measuring you by the size of your heart. superficial in how we perceive our ministries. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, tells basically all of them but one, I will shut your church down. (laughs) Do you think he really cares about our ministries? No, he cares about his glory. He doesn't care about our ministries. If our ministries are not bringing people to his glory... He doesn't care about our ministries. He tells six of the seven, I'll shut you down. Just think about that for a minute. And and this is like, for me as a shepherd, I know I'm emoting a little bit, but I'm sort of ranting, but, but just catch the spirit of this. As a shepherd, I just think, man, what am I reproducing in people? It, you know, am I reproducing in people a lifestyle that says, I want to live for the glory of God no matter what, and they actually do it? Or am I reproducing in people, people who are familiar with a, a language or a culture but don't actually live it? And there's, there's deep concern in my own soul when I look at my own life and I see my own trivialities and my own superficiality, and I go, man, I'm probably not reproducing anything deeper than me. So I I feel, oh, man, the heat of God's correction on my own soul. 
So how we look at ourselves, how we measure ourselves, the size of our ministry and what Jesus actually cares about. I believe God's exposing that. He's going to expose that this year. And then lastly, what came up was this um, superficiality in relationships. And, and one of the brothers, he just said it so cleanly. He said, don't you think if we're going to go deep in God, we have to pop open the hood of our hearts with one another so that we can actually do this thing together, support one another, and learn to love all the way into depth in God. And man, when he said that, you know, you could just feel kind of the room just get really uncomfortable. Because I would just say, you know, historically, House of Prayer culture is kind of like making relationships in a library. You know, it's just not very interconnected. And that's something the Lord really corrected us on last year, which is really sweet, but I think we've got to even take it another level. First commandment, we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, we love our neighbor as ourselves. And here, let me just say this. The deeper you go in God doesn't equal the weirder and the more set aside you are. If you're going deeper in God, you're going to go deeper in love. You see what I'm saying? Now, let's just, let's just catch this really clear. In the prayer room, for instance, let's give each other the ability to go deep in God. Like somebody's there on the floor crying, seeking God. Don't go, hey, hey, I need to talk to you right now. Well, if you loved me, you'd come talk to me. They're actually, do, let them do the first commandment so they can go do the second commandment. But our problem is we are, we are far not enough vertical, so we're almost no good horizontally. People want to say, well, you're too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. And I go, no, no, no. We're nowhere near heavenly-minded enough to actually be any earthly good. Does that make sense? And those, if the church could get more vertical, then it could get more horizontal. And um, last thought, I'm, I was just thinking through this about my own, I'll just talk about my own prayer room time because I know there's many of our staff in here. And I'm thinking about my own prayer room time. And out of 60 minutes in the room, I would just say there's many times that I pray for 15 and 45 is distraction and work and other things. And man, I, this year, I'm just gonna be, just say this is not a New Year's resolution. It's just like I'm trying to make a quality decision. I mean, out of the 60 minutes in the room, I want you know 50 of them to be quality moments with Jesus. I mean, really, like, I, I mean, I get it. We're human. We're not, no, one's, no one's like that focused. Maybe, maybe you are. I, I'm not. But I, maybe I'll grow. But my point is, you know, I, I really want the majority of the time that I'm in that room, I want to be staring at that man, talking to him, looking into his word, and allowing him to put a root in me that's deep so I don't live superficially as a leader and I don't lead people into superficial non-breakthrough Christianity. Does that make sense? So we're getting ready to go into a three-day fast. And, and I want to encourage all of us to take these next three days, set them aside, make them holy to the Lord. And don't just do it this time. Let, let's make this time for our spiritual family, let's make it real, like a, a, an actual holy convocation. Like what if we found ourselves in a spiritual family where even, even a, 
a large percentage. What if 30, 40% of the 11, 1,200 people actually did the three days of fasting and prayer every month? What if 50%? What if you could get half? I know that's not what Jesus' percentages were. I mean, he gives four different kinds. I'm assuming it's 25% each. But, but what if, what if we said we will not, we're not going to be superficial? We recognize our own shallowness, and we're going to war against that in the grace of God. The point isn't to point out others and go, they're all superficial, and we're not. No, that's not the point. The point is to go, I'm living superficially, and I don't want to be this way anymore. Because we don't measure ourselves against anyone else. We look at what's available, and we go, there's a thousand available in God, and I'm a .375. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? <laughs> I sure love y'all. Let's stand. I'm looking at the amount of time I spend, my screen time. I'm convicted. I got to get off that phone. Got to get off those screens. A lot of it's a lot of it is actual work. So much just frivolous. I just I really need to get get that thing under control. I I confessed to my family today. I really. 2020, I just want to get off the screen. So many of you, you're, you're struggling with the same thing. You just got to get off of that screen. You need to set the phone down, put it in another room, leave it alone, go be with Jesus. There was a time when we did not have text messages, nor did we carry phones on our bodies. There was a time when they could not get in touch with you. They couldn't. That was normal. That thing, is, that thing has it, it's, it's produced some productivity, but it's also produced so much distraction. And the Lord's given us, gently given us dreams, pointing out the cell phone as an issue. I want to call you off of that. I want to call you out of distraction. I want to call you out of superficiality, out of triviality, out of a religious veneer, out of a name that you're alive. Let's let, man, let's let 2020 just... In the grace of God, I'm not asking for anybody to strain in some sort of religious kind of, you know, prove-itism. I'm just saying, in the grace of God, let's put ourselves before him. And if we have to reset our hearts a hundred times a day, let's do it. Let's work that muscle of, of finding that place in him where the the. The seed is rooted and it's bearing fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Hallelujah.